Welcome to the GT Reboot. This week, Hunter Wolf, editor of Gaming Trend, joins us as we discuss our feelings on the recently revealed Call of Duty World War II trailer and a Zelda fan-made trailer. We also talk about our reviews of Dawn of War 3, What Remains of Edith Finch, and Mr. Shifty. We're so glad you're here to join us this week, so let's boot up. Welcome to another episode of the Gaming Trend Reboot. My name is Joe DeClara. I'm the news editor at Gaming Trend, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host of the show, our on-reserve military man, Mr. Mike Pierce. Mike, how are you? For, I'm I'm good, Joe. Uh. <laughs> it's hard, man. For. Like you told us some like some chilling shit a second. Not really, but chilling. But like I'm sure you could tell us a thing or two. But you are. We don't really tell our listeners this, but you're you are a man of uh, our country, and we we never really like delved into that. I don't know if you want to. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd kind of prefer not to, if you don't mind, Joe. That's fine. <laughs> I feel like people should know, though. Like, are we, we got some people who serve. We got some people who are who are the real deal, man. More well, Ron, Ron's mentioned it once or twice. Like, I think in our, um, I think in our Ghost Recon Wildlands thing, he mentioned it. Uh, he mentioned that we were both former military, and that's. Well, he That's made good. he made a couple of mentions of your like militaristic demeanor, like how you always say Roger whenever uh, we like to ask you to do something, <laughs> and, and you like say you know you say Roger affirmative, you say those things, and it's I think it's just a cool little character thing you spin, but I like it nonetheless. Yeah, I I don't know you uh, you, you learn there's like a different culture, man. There's a different uh, different different slang terms, different culture. Uh, and some of it doesn't go away, I guess. I don't know. I do like saying Roger that. And to be honest, I said, I used to say affirmative for the hell of it before I even joined hmm. the military. Sure, so right. That's just, yeah, I figured. That's just stuck with me. But um, I don't know. It was like, I always, before I went in, I always thought that Roger that was a thing you only said, you know, over the radio. But it's not. People say it in person all the time. Okay, cool. Yeah, they'll be like, hey, private, go do something. Yeah, Roger that, Sergeant. That's you know, awesome. and you never say sergeant either. It's always sergeant, sir. It's, like, yeah, it's just yeah. yeah you like yeah. you you say sergeant for about the first week until you until you learn that it's a really hard word to say quickly yeah. and accurately, and then you just slur the fuck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just stays that way. You don't go yeah, with the, sarge. I figure sarge is like the cool way to say it. That's usually a really dangerous. Like unless you know someone really well, you you don't you don't want to be calling someone oh. sarge. Oh man! Yeah, that's that's a bad. Unless they specifically ask you to do that, that's a bad thing to do. Generally, okay. Like, hey, Sarge, get on your fucking face, asshole, right now, and stay there. Are are privates supposed to bookend statements to uh, higher ups with sir? Like, sir, I'll be right there, sir. Well, technically, any enlisted person, at least in the army, is always supposed to address an officer with sir or ma'am. Right. Yeah, and you can. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, you can do it at the beginning or at the end. So you can address them that way with your response. You know, you can be like, sir, I understand. Or you could say, I understand, sir. But it's not necessary to like book at it. Because I always see in movies like they start and end with sir. Sir, yes, sir. No, that's a, um, 
No, that doesn't. That doesn't <laughs> that's not happen. a thing. Okay. No, that's that's not a thing. Like in the Marines, in uh, in boot camp, they have to do that to their drill instructors. They have to say, "Sir, yes, sir." So they have to bookend it. Right. But um, we never had to do that. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing just a, a little color of uh, what it's like to be a military man. But we do have to introduce our other editor who is joining us this week, a veteran of the show, or at least of the show since Mike and I took over, and that is Hunter Wolf. Hunter, how are you, sir? Hey, listen. There he is. <laughs> Hi, I'm really good. I'm having a pretty good week. Wait, wait, did he wink? I didn't see him wink. No, not yet. No, no, not I didn't yet, wink. Yeah, okay, yeah. not yet. Yeah, no, right. Hunter's got my moment. Yeah, Hunter's got this a great new material great you have yeah. waiting for us this week, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a surprise for uh, Mister Joey DeClara. Right of course, always. I can't me. wait. Super excited. All right, I so... think Joe is too. I mean, you can tell by his response. Oh, I'm frothing no, at the mouth with fire excitement. Absolutely. <laughs> I regularly yeah. fire Hunter Wolf for all of his shenanigans. So without a doubt, yeah, yeah you have some real staying. Even knowing, without you have knowing. some real staying power, Hunter. You get fired and come back. Yeah, Hunter doesn't even know like, because he doesn't listen to the podcast. So again, <laughs> Hunter, you are fired. Guilty. It's all just right. more incentive for you to keep coming on because if you don't come on, we're just going to talk shit about you behind your back. Yeah, and then more times that I'll have to defend myself. Right. I mean, full to be totally honest, we did like dish it on Hunter a couple episodes ago, or was it last episode? But it was with full intent of believing that like he was going to listen and laugh about it, and it would be like okay. But now it feels dirty because we because we talked about you for like a whole five <laughs> minutes, and like you don't even know <laughs> about jokes it. on you. Oh. you need to do like a a reel of all the times we've you, we've dished on Hunter. And, oh god no make it like a i would feel game. awful oh that would be we could probably do two hours just straight just oh, the hunter uh, gag oh, reel terrible well, then after that we'll have a reel of all my word puns and plays on words oh that'll be good that would be yeah good. let's uh get into the news of the week okay we have a light news week we want to talk about some of the games we've been playing uh a couple of us well all of us were doing a review for some games so we want to talk about those uh but probably the most uh the biggest news story of the week was something we've all been seeing, we've all been expecting. Call of Duty's next installment, uh, which is called World War II, was revealed last week, over the week, and only yesterday, or was it yesterday? Anyway, only yesterday, we <laughs> got our first glimpse of the game, uh, whether it be cinematic or actual gameplay, not really sure, but we got our first reveal trailer for Call of Duty World War Two, gentlemen. What did you did think indeed. of what you saw yesterday? I don't know. Well, we we talked about this before. I remember because uh, we podcasted about this when that earnings that earnings call happened, and then all the news got leaked about the um about the next Call of Duty thing being World War Two. Right, just everything. Game. The name, the uh, the actual date it was coming out, the you know the nature yeah. of it, yeah. And um. I wasn't excited about it then, and I'm not really excited about it now. I guess after seeing the trailer, I'm a little bit more excited about it um, than I was before, but I, I'm still really not. Like, it just feels... First of all, it opens up with um, what looks like the beach landing at, at Omaha Beach. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's possible it could have been one of the other beach landings. I think there were five, um, but it was American troops, which means it's yeah. only one of two beaches. Yeah, it was definitely it's either Omaha North. or Utah. Yeah, it was definitely the no invasion. No one ever of... does Utah, so it's probably Omaha. Well, it was definitely and... what the the invasion of Normandy, right? The beaches of Normandy, wasn't that it? D Day. Right, yeah, 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 so there were, exactly, there were five beach landings on that day, two were done by the Americans, two were done by the British, and one, uh, one was done by the Canadians. Gotcha. And the Americans got Omaha and Utah, the British got Sword and Gold, and the Canadians got Juno, I think, I don't know. um, But anyway, sure as hell looks like Omaha Beach, we've already done that in Medal of Honor 1, was it? Was it Medal of Honor 1? I don't know. It was definitely done in Call of Duty before. I mean, this is like Activision said uh, in the earnings call you mentioned. Uh, This is a return to Call of Duty's roots, roots. per se, right? It it threw out all those uh, exciting adjectives and buzzwords, right? Like, going back to its roots, this is boots on the ground. It's going to be a visceral, dark... Uh, brooding game and like all the all that stuff and uh, yeah it I don't know man it looks like it looks like a video game version of Band of Brothers except with just regular infantry instead of airborne because Band of Brothers was airborne troops I mean and I'm yeah. just not interested in that at all like like I said before if you want to get me to play more World War II shooters do something else besides the damn Americans. I want mm. to see anyone else like Call of Duty to their credit. They did do one. I don't remember. Was it COD two maybe? And it was the, um, the Russians. So good on them for doing that. But God, like there are way more countries than <laughs> fucking Americans to mm. do in world war two. And if nothing else, like at least just quit the European theater. We've done the European theater over and over and over again. Like the war was fought in other places. Uh, if, if people didn't know that. So like, I can't I, imagine I what's up. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the, the people who are working constantly on these shooters, like don't get tired or fit fatigued of doing the same kind of settings the, the same settings all the time and i guess that's why we got games like you know black ops um and, and infinite warfare and you've got your like near future games but i don't know i just feel like at this point these like shooters they they do feel very samey and i haven't played all of them to be able to um to talk knowledgeably about it but from what i've seen in the, the trailer and from other games yeah it, it doesn't look inspired I guess. No, that's for sure. It's definitely a uh, tried uh, setting, and even like to the point of where that scene was, uh, like you said, Mike, it's kind of like a Band of Brothers, uh, you know, copy, or even, it's definitely uh, very Saving Private Ryan. Like, how many times can we do that opening scene of Omaha Beach Saving Private Ryan, right? And clearly, we're going to do it again. Uh, And this was, again, like I was saying before, this is essentially going to be a reboot a soft reboot of call of duty 2 call of duty 2 opened with that exact scene and it was like almost shot for shot like a re do a re a video game imagining reimagining of saving private ryan 
right? It had the moment of like war is hell. And when, uh, you know, the bomb drops and the hearing kind of goes out and you have the ring in the air and you look around and there's all sorts of things like, uh, chaos. Ca- yeah, chaos and, uh, are you sure you're not thinking soldiers about Medal of Honor? To- no, it's definitely Call of Duty 2. Call of Duty 2 opens okay. with this scene. And because Medal of Honor did the same I mean, damn thing. I'm sure. Absolutely. Because so, <laughs> that's what video games were doing. Because, I mean, what a great scene oh, to man. copy. And it honestly, it like, Call of Duty. It even worse. Call of Duty 2 did it great because it just it felt like it. You know, it was a total carbon copy video game version of saving private ryan opening scene but it was great i mean you're in the boat and like you got the water and it's very immersive it was one of the first games to do it besides say medal of honor but just the the (laughs) freaking what were those those launcher anchors just launch and you looking up and the guns start firing and everything feels very very cool and i they're gonna do exactly the same thing like that's i don't know if they we're getting into that same area where like oh is it too soon to reboot something or is it worth rebooting and generally i think you know there is a lot that can be told of world war ii like you said there's a whole lot that happened but because everyone thinks of those iconic things that are associated with movies or tv shows that covered it uh that's kind of what they want or at least that's what activision thinks people want or, or why not? Like, here's a, here's an interesting idea. If you want to stick with World War II and you want to stick with the European theater, why not do something that nobody else, at least that I can think of, has ever done? Why not do something with like, um, like the British Expeditionary Force? You know, prior, uh, prior to them leaving continental Europe, why not? Why not do them like, basically like losing battle after battle to the Germans and being driven off the continent back to the UK, and then. For the next game, you know, like two years later or whatever, you can, you know, there's there's probably some soldiers, the real life soldiers that survived that retreat, probably tons of them, and then went back onto continental Europe after the invasion a few years later. And how cool would it be to follow some of those soldiers in a storyline as they were getting, you know, destroyed by the Germans and driven off continental Europe, and then the next game has them invading and like pushing further and further into Europe. They can create that uh, call of duty cinematic universe that they were talking about with the movies. Did you guys hear about that? No, no. Yeah. They they have like a, a a call of duty movie planned or or something of the sort. And somebody who's working on the movie had a comment that got really criticized. They said that um, they're trying to um, create this call of duty quote, cinematic universe. Oof. Before they even have one movie out there. Well, that's, you know, that's how you market it. You know, you see, you look at Marvel and everything that they did well. But I mean, if there's a video game series or IP that does not need a a movie adaptation, it's definitely Call of Duty. Because it's already adapting a ton of movie uh, content, which is literally what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. They don't need, they don't need any of that shit. (laughs) That'd just be like slapping a slapping Call of Duty onto a war movie. Mm. I mean, it, it is a genre of film. I do feel a little bad about uh, criticizing Call of Duty's first opening because it's just literally what we do now. That's kind of the regular rhythmic trend. Call of Duty reveals their first trailer and everyone just you know dumps on it because it's not what we want or it's uh, too cliche or whatever. It is often those things, but I mean... 
we last year fans didn't like Call of Duty, uh, the reveal of Infinite Warfare because it was another space shooter or another future shooter. Later on, a lot of people liked it. A lot of the core audience didn't because it was uh, the multiplayer was problematic. I don't know the reasons, but I mean. This game just does seem like so tried and so uninspired and such a repeat of things that we've done over and over. And the actual revealing of it was just so generic and like for me annoying. Like they did the live stream and they had, uh, the developers there, which, you know, I like Sledgehammer. They, but they're, everyone's just very, very emphatic and very, um, enthusiastic. And there's no actual, discussion happening it's just a lot of fluff talking about how excited we are about the game so it just gets you get me it got me kind of annoyed with the whole uh trend that they constantly uh perpetuate you know so uh it did nothing to excite me about the game but again infinite warfare i wasn't excited for either and uh a lot of people who have the same taste as me tended to like the campaign so could be wrong we'll see i have a question for you guys so coming from the perspective of somebody who hasn't played a lot of shooters, um, the trailer just looked like an- another shooter trailer. Like it didn't do anything to me as someone where that isn't my main genre to like pull me in. And that, that was just my interpretation of it. What are like the games that big shooter fans point to and say, this is like the game that would get you into shooters. Well, unfortunately, I think Call of Duty, the Call of Duty franchise would probably be one that a lot of people point to. I mean, I really? don't necessarily agree with that, but it's hard to hard to dispute that with its popularity. Mm. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Like what? What was the question? I didn't. I didn't understand the question, Hunter. Yeah, like what is what is the game? If someone says, "Oh, you know, I want to get into shooters," what game do you recommend? Then? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I would say Overwatch is like the jam because it is <laughs> I mean, just such I a mean, great like, game it is not a shooter right it's a it's a shooter I mean, but it's not like a hardcore shooter is like like a, a war competitive shooter i mean i don't know so i don't know if i war theme yeah like i don't know if i would do that i am very tired of the war theme shooter it's like the games that i would suggest maybe titanfall titanfall was great last year um but other than that i would suggest maybe like if it has to be competitive shooters, I'd say Overwatch or I'd say maybe Halo. I happen to love uh, Halo 5's multiplayer. Uh, single player slash, you know, multiplayer campaign was terrible, but I still love uh, that game's multiplayer. Uh, a lot of third person shooters are games that are good out there. Um, but well, I'm maybe- thinking more specifically of, you know, pieces like like this new Call of Duty game. It's like World War II. It's a historical piece. I, I couldn't Not tell like you, you know, Overwatch or Gears of War. Well, okay, if you were asking like which of the generic war-based shooters with the single-player campaign, very you know, uh, narrow corridor gameplay, and then multiplayer arena-based cam, uh, well, not even arena-based, but like class-based. Uh, generic shooter then i wouldn't suggest any of them because i've gotten tired of them to be honest <laughs> maybe titanfall 2 uh, i happen to love titanfall 2 uh battlefield hey, that's good news for my wallet i'll take it battlefield last year was awesome um i love that and that's the thing like you feel bad like oh, well battlefield one we loved for all the things that call of duty is trying to be but then again 
Call of Duty was try- is trying to be a redo of a lot of other games that have come out, whereas Battlefield 1, while going backwards, did do a lot of really cool new things. Did like The vignette storytelling was really interesting. I thought uh, the uh, multiplayer gameplay is just so enormous, as Battlefield generally is. Um, I just, I happen to love it. I did not spend a lot of time with it, but a lot of people who did love Battlefield 1. Mike is certainly a proponent of Battlefield 1. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I would, if I was going to recommend one, I would, I would say Battlefield for sure. Um, they, uh, the, the team at DICE really seems to have, you know, I've met some of them at some of the events I've been to. And, um, I guess part of the thing that really struck me is like when they were presenting these trailers to us and showing what we were going to be uh, playing that day or whatever, you know, they weren't just like, oh, hey, well, this is this battle that happened at Soissons uh, and a lot of people died. You know, no, it was like, okay, this was in the last year of the war and the French were, you know, assaulting the Germans. There were 45,000 casualties or something in like the first 24 hours and this, that, and the other happened. And if the French had won this battle, historians think that, you know, the war would have ended six months earlier. And like, and they, they actually give like historical presentations to give you context to what the hell is going on. And not only with Battlefield 1 is that built into the campaign, but that's actually built into the multiplayer a little bit too. Like if you play Operations, you get this little narration from this uh, uh, female voice that tells you like the background on the battlefield that you're about to go into. Mm. And then based on the outcome of that battle, uh, her her narration will tell you like, oh, well, if the Ottoman Turks had won this battle, then the British would have been driven out of, you know, uh, present day Iraq or whatever. And the battle for the Mediterranean would have been a lot harder or, you know, like whatever. And so, and I know there's a YouTube channel, um, called the great war that I've talked about before. They Mm -hmm. did a lot of work with those guys to get all their facts straight. They also, and I found this out not that long ago. There's another YouTube channel called forgotten weapons, um, from this dude who is just super into the mechanics of Mm -hmm. old forgotten and interesting weapons and they even brought him on for all sorts cool. of consultation and stuff uh for that and so they really it, maybe it's because uh they're actually based in europe although as far as i know sweden which is where dice is from didn't didn't have anything to do with world war one I, I don't think or if they did it was very limited but um they just seem to have a lot more feeling behind it like call of duty just seems to be like hey we're going to tell this story because a movie was written about it and we think it's going to be popular and like a bunch of 14 year old kids who don't know jack shit about world war ii will be interested to see you know 17 year old john smith who signed up a year before he was supposed to and got shot on omaha beach Hmm. and like you know whatever even though saving private ryan already did that and so did another call of duty and so did another medal of honor and it seems to me like they're just throwing shit out to for a cash cow but um i mean that's that is generally what you know the video game industry is all about right but yeah i totally agree it's just like let's let's find the formulaic like what is gonna sell copies right now and uh and get that out there I do agree. Seems yeah. to be more feeling behind the team of dice a lot more. So if that's if that's what gets you into it, then try out Battlefield.
weeks ago, the Game Developers Conference, better known as GDC, was underway, and Nintendo made an appearance and talked about Breath of the Wild, and that's where uh, they first um, mentioned to the public, well, public, to uh, during their little spiel at GDC, multiplicative gameplay, which is their description for the uh, really intuitive and uh, diverse and interconnected gameplay systems uh, and mechanic systems that they have in Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, basically how all the different things like the fire and uh, fire can interact with things weirdly and uh, how everything Long is kind of tactile and like every weapon can be picked up and thrown by enemies or by you. All of this stuff that inter- uh Twines in a really, really cool yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's more complicated than that. Multiplicative gameplay. It's very important. And they uh, described during the conference that it was something that they started working on in a prototype that they designed, which looked a lot like a Zelda NES original game, but it had mm. all these cool systems. So it was like Zelda Breath of the Wild 2D. And they showed it off at GDC. And it looked very cool, and it was obviously gets us all going because it looks like yeah, Zelda I NES. Yeah, that. That looks cool. As anyone would. So, of course, <laughs> someone eventually went off and made their own clone of the game that was shown off at GDC. Uh, this creator, uh, Winter Drake on Twitter, called it Zelda Breath of the NES. And it is very much a lot like what we saw at GDC, or at least just in uh, aesthetics. And it does have a lot of the weapons that are in Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, a few of them, like the more interesting things, like uh, the Korok Don't Leaf, spoil. which is Ooh, something that is not a spoiler. It's a very short thing. You know, you can play it now. It's still up. And... Um, you can like take Korok leaves and blow things around and uh, you can catch things on fire and all sorts of things. It's very cool. Uh, but what I'm interested in is the fact that it's still up right now. And I'm wondering how long it'll stay up because Nintendo has often and always been very sensitive of their IP and many fan games have come out uh, fan games or even fan remakes like say last year, uh, it was Metroid 2, I think, that was remade and it was restylized, uh, because the original Metroid 2 wasn't very pretty. This one was, and they were remaking this entire game and it looked fantastic and, and Nintendo shut it down. There was also a Pokemon. Yeah, like, um, Sorry? Yeah, Pokemon Uranium, I was just gonna say. Yeah, Pokemon Uranium was another Nintendo, uh, fan project. It was actually a fully individual game made. Uh, by these fans and Nintendo eventually shut them down too. Uh, so it's one unfortunate, two kind of controversial and uh, polarizing because it is Nintendo's IP. But then there are things like, say, Metroid 2, which uh, they weren't remaking or they weren't really selling on enough hardware. And then there's uh, the Pokemon game, which is its own thing, and they weren't asking for money. Um, yeah, so I'm I wondering how you guys feel about... Uh, fan games in general and uh, the concept. Well, I think you said the big thing, which is that they weren't off. They weren't asking for money. Like I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, with Pokemon Uranium, the only money that they were getting was from traffic, and they were putting that to hosting the site or something like that. But I, I understand it's like someone's IP. So if you want to like create one of these fan projects and then sell it that I don't, I don't stand by that personally, but 
when you're just like doing it for fun, how is it any different from like, a, you know, a, a level editor, you know? Well, it can be very different. Uh, it's the fact that um, I understand. I think I understand where Nintendo's coming from. That's a rare thing to say. But I think the oh. general <laughs> consent, the idea behind it, the philosophy is that they need to protect their IP um, and they need to, I guess, um, manage the image of Nintendo and the image of Zelda, sure. the IP. Uh, but, I mean, none of this stuff is ever... Uh, tactless or distasteful it's all good stuff it's all done with a lot of love and care so i don't know i also yeah. think yeah you're not if you just let it slide then people can just go rampant and start making stuff all over but i don't know it's just problematic to me because i see a lot of people making great stuff and then they're shut down and then things like say the metroid 2 remake which nintendo isn't supplying these guys are so uh, I just wish Nintendo would do something to acknowledge uh, the cool things that are being made. Maybe, like, you know, give these guys a call. You know, an old school Nintendo or once did that before. And with, like, Donkey Kong. You know, that's how Donkey Kong Country became a thing. A An American developer, like, challenged the Nintendo president, said, Listen, I bet I can make a great game for you. Just, like, give me a million dollars and, like, do it. And I'll make a great game for you. And they gambled with it, and they did. And you know, there's people doing great stuff here. So is Mike, that really how, how that happened? Something along the lines of that. I re- uh, you should if everyone Damn. should read a book I- called. Uh, it's not like just random. Like this uh, developer, I for- I'm forgetting all the names, but this American developer, uh, a legend tells it, went to the president of ah, Nintendo legend. after of Zelda. You know, after something transpired where when they became familiar with each other uh the developer for donkey kong country went to the president of nintendo and said listen how much do you spend on uh say a failed commercial every every year and he gave him a number and he said listen just consider me a failed commercial give me that budget and i will make you a game and he did and it was donkey kong country and that kind of was the um, Damn! It was the wow, smoking gun cool. that brought. I loved that game. Super Nintendo back. Yeah, it was. A, it's a fantastic game. So there that you go. That was like one of my favorite Nintendo games. Yeah. I also I wanted to bring up Bethesda too because they now support mods in one of the editions of Skyrim. They support these fan made like standalone things in their mm-hmm. game. It's crazy. Yeah. They've... And then you've got Nintendo on the other end of the spectrum. That's yeah, true. Bethesda, Bethesda um, to their credit, has been like, I don't know if I would say the pioneer of of the modding, of encouraging modding, but mm. in my mind, they're one of the, the the developer that's done the best job of creating a community, developing that community, encouraging that community, yeah. uh, and, and keeping it going. And and uh, like they've even hired some people. Based off of like, there was a kid I think who made uh, seventeen or eighteen years old. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a mod for Skyrim, and it amounted to something like thirty hours of additional Content. gameplay. Like this dude just piled his life into this, mm. and, uh, and and if I remember correctly, they hired him like a week later after he published it on the on the Steam Workshop because everyone was raving about it, and they were like, "Dude, this this is like exactly." what we want this yeah. is this is what we make and you just made it by yourself so come work for us kind of a thing 
Um, and I get, I, I'm like, I get where Joe's coming from. I think there's a risk as a company when you, when mm. you have an IP, uh, you want to control the image, you want to control the of release. Course. You want to have that authority and, and that power. Um, but, uh, I think there's a way to do it in a measured fashion. Yeah. And, and I think a great way to do that is kind of do what, uh, Bethesda does or, or do, do things like, you know, look at the mods that are out there, look at the games that are out there that are being created from your IP and only sponsor or encourage the ones that you approve of, you yeah. know, and like the other ones that we don't like those or whatever. But if, if it's something good and it's something faithful and the person's not trying to um, tarnish their image, they're not trying to tarnish the image. They're not trying to make money off of it when they shouldn't, because as you said, it is someone else's IP. So yeah. making money off of it, that's yeah, unless no. you get specific permission from Nintendo yeah, or whatever. Sure. Well, that's say, called licensing. Hey, that's man, how yeah, it works. Like, like it's a whole other story. Right. right? And uh, right. I mean, how often is that going to happen? Especially with a exactly. company like Nintendo, it's like a nightmare sometimes. So I, I definitely feel you. It's, it's definitely true. Bethesda is, uh, definitely one of the, like you said, uh, pioneers, pioneers. Or, or at least, uh, one of the most, um, vocal big companies and big publishers about mods, modding communities, uh, you know, kind of, uh, meta communities for a game or for a franchise. Uh, Valve is a big company that does that. They hire a lot of people that create a lot of content out of their stuff. And that's well, a great con- progressive thing to do. And it's something Nintendo should consider, I think, for sure. I agree, because uh, now I don't know the full background on how all this stuff developed. But Counter-Strike was a mod to yeah. the original Half-Life way back in the day. I remember playing the beta for that, downloading it on a damn uh, dial-up connection and playing <laughs> it before DSL was even a thing. And um and and it's now it's like it's massive and it's turned into a full on game that Valve now makes. Yeah, it's like yeah. one of the um, most popular games. Easily. Right, and uh, Team Fortress was a um a Half Life mod, Another and Half-Life so was mod, there was yeah. a World War Two shooter, Day of Defeat, I think. I'm not sure. There are a called. bunch. There's some like Western, uh, game yep. that's like a Half Life Two mod. There's just a ton of yep. things like that people do. And the one that I was gonna say that particularly stands out is uh, Black Mesa. And do you guys know about Black Mesa? Yeah. That has something to do with Portal, right? Uh, no, half Well, you'll technically, spoiler, but no. Uh, Black Mesa, yeah, is a fan-made Half-Life remake. Is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the original. it's a remake of the original Half-Life. They're using the Source engine. And um, you, can, you didn't used to be able to buy it on Steam. It was like its own separate entity. They had their own web page. You had to download it and install it. Um, and sometime in the last year or two years, something like that, at some point they established a relationship with Valve finally, and now I'm looking at it right now on my Steam page. You can go buy Black Mesa. It's still in early access, but you can go buy it for uh, 20 bucks on Steam. So like, if that's not an endorsement of a fan-made game, I don't know what is. Yeah. Because valve run steam and that is a valve game that is the game that put valve on the map so um, and what's, what's, and it's awesome 
Yeah, awesome. what's also important about that is, just to me, it's important. I don't know how important it is from a business standpoint, and probably not at all, but it's the acknowledgement of someone's hard work and, uh, you know, dedication to something you created. And right. uh, that's commendable because it's something that uh, a couple of companies like Bethesda and Valve do, and it's something Nintendo very much shies away from. And not only shies away from, there was a some investigative stuff on Eurogamer. I couldn't quote it right now who uh, wrote it up, um, but it was a little investigation on Nintendo emulators. So little ROMs of their games like Super Mario for NES or Mario 3 or any of the ROMs that uh, people are emulating on PC. And it's something they're doing. You know, it's something a lot like a lot of people in the media like to pretend it isn't happening, but it's happening. And, uh, we found out, well, these people at Eurogamer found out by looking at some of the code, basically, that the emulators that Nintendo's selling on the Nintendo eShop or the Virtual Console have nearly identical, if not identical, code to those of emulators that have been around for years on PC. So a lot of people came to the conclusion that Nintendo took those emulators that were created by users, by consumers, illegally, as Nintendo would constantly flaunt every single time emulators comes up, once the e-work comes up. Nintendo probably took those emulators, those illegal ROM files, and just copy and pasted them into their virtual console. So if that's true, granted that that's true, that means that Nintendo did exactly the same thing as Black Mesa, as Valve did with Black Mesa, but without acknowledging the creators, without uh, and actually shunning the concept of emulation and you know shaking, wagging their finger at anyone who uses it. Uh, they've posted all over and over little FAQs that just kind of um, demonize the concept of emulation, uh, regardless of whether you have the game or not like you know some games nintendo doesn't make available but they still will uh come after you if you emulate it uh and then they're actually using that code it's totally possible that it's not true but i mean it looks pretty credible the evidence i saw so it's kind of sad uh, joe with his tinsel hat on no 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 not at all it's the uh and, and tinsel hats aren't real i don't know what you're talking about i don't but know anyway. i think fan games are whether they start as mods or not i'm not really sure it matters because a lot of the time really successful mods end up becoming their own game um i mean there's tons of examples like dota which is a massively popular game if i remember correctly originally started as a warcraft 3 mod and now it's it is a Warcraft, entirely... right? Yeah, it is. Uh, Didn't it? It started as a Warcraft three mod. It was and custom. Now, of course, yeah, to, it was custom we're on to Dota settings. Too. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, we're on to Dota two for the past several years. Like, <laughs> but uh, well, that right, is but, how Dota be- came to be because it was right, a mod. But what I mean is, yeah. like, it's now gone away from a mod and it's its own. It's its own separate thing. Yeah, now. that's that's and, always fascinating. I mean, that like the most popular games out there right now say for like league of legend right which is out there but like team fortress 2 counter-strike and dota 2 are all from like these half-life games or from these uh from these other games they're all mods of games previous games and that's pretty fucking incredible that you know someone went out there made something on their own 
uh, got a following and not through no commercial, uh, funding, through no advertising whatsoever. They just created something that they thought was awesome, got a bunch of people to like it. The internet took it and loved it. And then the original creators or other creators, you know, with the case of Valve with Dota said, this is great. Let's mm. go with it. You know, and Nintendo would never do it because Nintendo is up on their high horse and wag their fucking finger, right? Like they recently, Zelda, a Zelda maker made the way onto uh, Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, I didn't catch that. You were, we were, we were losing your connection real bad. Yeah. Oh, That's why I okay, started yeah, yeah. doing the robot. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Zelda. <laughs> but yeah, one of the well, one of the most interesting ones for me actually is a game that you brought up right before we before we started recording this. Joe Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. That's like actually a chain now, because so that game started as a mod. Yep. For H one Z one, and if I remember Wasn't correctly, it for Arma. Uh, no, H one Z one was a mod for Arma. Right. So like, oh yeah, H one Z one was a mod for Arma. And then Brendan Green, also who goes by Player Unknown, did a mod for H1Z1 called Battle Royale. Oh my god! And wow. Battle Royale became hugely popular, and Brendan Green, Player Unknown, has now gone to work for a Korean developer called Blue Hole, and they are now making their own separate game based on Battle Royale called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. <laughs> Which so is a terrible like this, name, by the way. But yeah, it is, and yeah. it's a mouthful. Like it's hard. I I mean, player unknowns is fine. It, like, I just don't call it that. Like, uh, like I don't call Sid Meier's Civilization Sid Meier's Civilization. I just say Civ Six yeah. or yeah, Civ, Civ Five, Civ yeah. Five, yeah. Civ Four, whatever. Yeah, 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 I know. I they should really. But Battlegrounds just is just the worst name ever. <laughs> it's Should've. it's the worst name since Battlefield. I don't know. <laughs> it's like all of these battle names just got to go away. But, uh, well, yeah, like that's the thing though. H1Z1 was, uh, was a creation of off of a mod called DayZ on Arma 2, right? But DayZ was was also a game. Like there was, it was H1Z1 is this open world permadeath zombie game, right? Wasn't, wasn't H1Z1 a mod, just a direct mod from Arma? And Daisy was another mod. Daisy was Arma to mod, right? And then it became yeah. a, a early access game, or maybe just released okay. as a game. And then right. there was another one, H one Z one, which I thought was the same thing. Like it was just a clone of that idea oh, coming okay. out around the same time. Okay, and then it? yeah, sorry. Have you seen that that internet meme of um? Oh, what's the actress in Stranger Things that everybody loves? Yeah, why not a writer? Have you yeah. seen that meme of her in the uh the award show where she's like following the pizza around and her eyes are like getting big and she's like and someone like no. clipped an image of a pizza and it floats around the screen and her eyes point to it. It's really funny, but that's what I was picturing in my head right now as we're trying to figure out like H1Z1, DayZ, uh, Arma 2. I'm just my eyes are rolling. <laughs> Me and Mike are trying to get some ludological history padded down, and you're just sitting here thinking about memes. You're fired, I really Hunter. Imp- I am really impressed with that word, ludological. Ludological? That's a yeah, thing. five yeah. syllables, man. Good job. What, really? Is it? Do I, do I need to do the clap? Yeah. Ludological. <laughs> 
Each of us has reviewed a game this week, and I want to get to Hunter first about uh, what's with Eden Finch. I forget the name of this game. <laughs> what's this game called? It sounds like that that kid in high school. What's with Eden what's, Finch? What's eating Gabler Grape? I forget the name of it. Yeah. What's the name of this game? It's called What Remains of Edith Finch. What Remains of Edith and, Finch. And um, it is a walking simulator in the vein of... Honestly, I think Gone Home, really. It's uh, by developer Giant Sparrow, who did the Unfinished Swan, if you played that. Um, I loved Unfinished Swan. Yeah, really cool game. It's honestly, I, I said this before the cast, um, it is, to me personally, one of the most important games that I've ever played. Um, they, um, The premise of the story is that a character returns home after many years, and you walk around her house exploring the stories of her um, deceased ancestors. It's really cool, and everyone needs to play it. Okay. Is there anything? I assume you don't want to spoil anything, but is there any reason, particularly, that you want to divulge why uh, anything you could say uh, to its importance? Yeah. First, well, most importantly, I think it is a case study in good game design because at games, as in a storytelling medium, mm-hmm. um, what makes games different from like books is that element of of play and interactivity. Um, and when you're interacting with each each family or each ancestor's uh, stories, it presents new game mechanics to you for each of those short stories that reinforce the theme of those stories um, in really, really creative and powerful ways. So, but I can't go into like um, what each of those mechanics are. Sure, sure. Spoiling. Okay, I, I appreciate that. That's fine. I would ask you, though, would you call this a game? Um, yeah, most definitely. Okay. I think so. See, I, I ask that sometimes, and I hear a lot of people get annoyed by the question, like, is it a game? Is it not a game? A lot of people mm-hmm. hear that, and they think, oh, what does it matter? Just enjoy it. But, like, I don't think it's a disparaging thing to ask if something's a game. Like, we have games like, say, know. Gone Home or um, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, these uh, quote-unquote walking simulators, if you will, which I hate that uh, term. I don't really like it, but it is kind of the term that's stuck now, so I guess that's what we're what we have but um i like the exploration of whether or not something is a game because uh i think it's actually important like specifically with everybody's gone to the rapture not everyone loved it that's fine i happen to like it a lot for all its flaws um and it is in my opinion not really a game because there is no element of competition now competition doesn't have to mean with multiple people it could just be with the game itself like you're competing against the game that's challenging you to do something uh the challenge could be trying to not get lost in the game because it doesn't do a good job of directing you uh what everybody's got to the rapture specifically but it is basically like just a interactive virtual narrative it's not really a game and there are other games like that and uh we call it game as shorthand because that's fine it's just a one syllable word that we can throw out there but when you call it a game sell it as a game and then people buy it and uh if they don't know what they're getting into and they can it can be it can hurt the game when all of a sudden they find out oh all you do is walk around and explore and and uh yeah. uncover a story 
And I mean, I don't know what else uh, people would call it. Yeah, if, that's the if thing. You did like, try to categorize them. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have a good suggestion as to a, a cool little uh, name to call it, but I just know that a game to me means there's an element of play, like you said, but there's also an element of competition. Like you, you have to retry something. You can fail or succeed in something, and it's challenging you to do something. Whereas uh, some games, which just kind of carry you through a story. That's not a game to me. It's not to disparage it. It's just something different. So that's a, a conversation I'd like to have, uh, maybe just with myself, but that's that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> so can't spoil anything, but you strongly recommend uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Yeah, guys, it's a really great game. Um, I, I'm saying now, like, Game of the Year contender for me. Cool. Damn. Yeah. So. All right. Mike, what have you been playing this week? Uh, Dawn of War 3 is the main thing that I've played this week. Um, in fact, I'm not... Until today, I'm not sure I even touched anything else. Well, uh, you, were reviewing, you were reviewing Dawn of War 3. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so, Hunter, what that game... Well, well, that's actually... That's actually hard to explain if you're not familiar with the greater... Uh, universe, I guess, is the only or lore lore universe, I guess, is the only way to say it. It's based off of the the Dawn of War series, as with a whole shitload of other games, are based off of a tabletop game uh, developed by Games Workshop, a company out of the UK. Mm. And over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, they've been releasing various games here and there. Um, based off of their IP and as also with their Warhammer IP, not to be confused with Warhammer 40,000. Okay. Um, God forbid. Total war Warhammer is based off I'm of sorry. that one. Um, and anyway, it's a, it's a strategy game and it basically like the races and the setting and, uh, all uh, the aesthetic, the design, everything is all based off of this universe. And I, I'd be happy to explain it to you, but it is insanely complicated <laughs> and it would literally take like, it would take a, the better gotcha. part of an hour to do it yeah. uh, thoroughly. So say no um, more. Right. So it's a, it's a, a real time strategy game. And, um, this is the third one in the series and son of war three. I don't even know why the hell I said that. That ought to be pretty obvious. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, a, an interesting thing that happened with the Dawn of War series is that number one was a traditional RTS. So uh, a lot of people would think of like Red Alert or Starcraft or Warcraft or Total Annihilation, Supreme Command or stuff like that. That's what Dawn of War 1 was like um, with, with a couple other differences here and there. Um, and Dawn of War 2 was very different. It was... Uh, instead of bases and big armies and this, that, and the other, you've got only, you had four squads you could take into battle and each, like one squad, I think uh, one or two of the squads would just be individual units. And then one or two of the squads would be like two or three guys. So you're controlling a handful of people and you could play it co-op. So if you did co-op, then you're only controlling two squads and the other person's controlling the other two. So, um, it was a very different game. Base building was totally gone. The maps were much smaller. The missions were only 15, 20 minutes as opposed to like an hour to two hours ish for traditional RTS ones. Um, 
And Dawn of War 3 is at this like weird kind of middle ground where it's trying to do some of both and also trying to update its formula by incorporating various MOBA aspects. And while I still like the game and it looks amazing, I mean, it seriously is one of the best looking games I've seen ever. Hmm. Um, cool. It just feels odd. Like, and I, and I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. It doesn't quite feel like it's found its identity yet, I guess. Mm. Um, and it was a bit light on content. Like that's one of the things that's great about the Warhammer 40,000 universe is that because it would take me an hour to explain it to you, the thing is just crazy deep in, in lore and history and, and alien races and, and all this other stuff. So there is a nearly endless amount of content that they can use um, to to uh, publish with, I guess, or develop with, as long as Games Workshops give gives them permission. Yeah. And um, with that in mind, it felt a little light, like I said, on content. Like, we only got three races. Dawn of War 1, by the time it was done, now granted there were two or three expansions, but by the time it was done, I think there were 11 races. And I think it shipped with four or five and we're only starting with three. There's only one multiplayer mode and that goes for online multiplayer and like offline skirmishes. The campaign, as usually in strategy games, you'll get one campaign for each race or each faction. That's kind of the typical thing. Um, you know, like Warcraft has, you know, you do the campaign for the orcs or you do the campaign for the humans. And Starcraft is what the humans, the the Zerg and the Protoss or whatever, I think. Um, and that's how Dawn of War 1 was. And in this one, it's all wrapped up into one campaign. And it's really just kind of weird because you do this, um, you play the Space Marines one mission, then you'll play the Orcs, then you'll play the Eldar, and then and you just kind of rotate in that sequence until you get to the end of the story. And... Other games have done this successfully, like Halo 2, for example, when you were switching from Master Chief to uh, the Arbiter back oh, sure. and forth. And yeah. that, that worked quite well. The, the problem is that in an RTS, that doesn't generally work because when you're using a different faction, you've got a different playstyle. You've maybe got some different controls. You've got different abilities. Right. You've got different building tech trees to get used to, different units, all this other stuff. So it's like... I'm just starting to get used to Space Marines a little bit. And then, oh, no, here we go. Now you're doing Eldar, and you got to learn it all again. And yeah. then, okay, I'm feeling okay with the Eldar. Wait, no, no, scratch that. Here we go with the Orcs. And then next mission, like, okay, do you remember the shit you did with the Space Marines? No, I don't. But, well, it doesn't matter, because right. here we're fucking going with the Space Marines again. So you didn't really get enough time to develop familiarity with any particular race at the beginning. Not on. Not until later, yeah. Like, I bet you I wasn't even... I bet you I was at least 50% of the way through the campaign or more until I felt like I knew what the hell was going on with each race. Mm. Um, and it... I don't know. Like, in Halo 2 or, and some other games, it works. So you still feel like you're a part of the narrative, but it did I not... I mean, that the thing is, it's a hard like comparison. It it's a hard comparison to use Halo 2 because, one, the two characters were only by the most minor standards different because they only had like what like the arbiter had 
a cloaking the mechanism energy sword. that you didn't really mm-hmm. use. And then the weapons were slightly different, but you ended up using the same right. weapons throughout anyway. So the mechanics were totally the same. But right. for Dawn, and it's also a first-person shooter, and this is Dawn of War, it's an RTS. Well, and it's like and infinitely more complicated because you have all all these different systems and all these different rules, and like it's I, just and you're controlling a million a people. Shit, yeah, I realize it's the shit analogy, but that's kind of I wasn't the I wasn't that, dumping that on the analogy. I'm sorry, I just no, no, no. It is, it is. It's a shit <laughs> analogy. It's fine, but the but I did that on Aww. purpose because, um because I wanted to illustrate the point that it doesn't really work with RTSs. Sure. You know, whereas in, like you said, you, you explained it perfectly in a first person shooter, the controls stay pretty much the same generally, no matter who you're playing, right? Like the arbiter had one different button, like his little, his, the little camo shield thing. And it's totally different with RTSs. You can't just be like, Oh yeah, I'm familiar with space Marines. Therefore I know what I'm doing with the orcs. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. at all. Mm. So, um, I made a shitty analogy on purpose to illustrate my point. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> I like your analogies, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but it was um, I don't know. It just doesn't it, it doesn't feel right yet. And um, it was super polished, super good looking. Relic always does an amazing job. Like they never release games that are um, buggy or anything like that. And I, I love Relic as a developer. And I did enjoy the game overall. The battles are fantastic. The story was just lacking and the the content wasn't there. And so I gave it, uh, I think I gave it a 70 or a 75. So it's like, it's good, but it's not, it's not what it could have been. And it's not what I hoped it would be. Is story just, what you're looking for? Well, like is story one of the main things you're looking for in your RTSs? Not usually to be fair, um, but this was like even worse than usual mm-hmm. um and some of that could be could uh, could not be relic's fault possibly because you it, the i mean while warhammer 40,000 is great and it's like this wellspring of content to draw from the the major um flaw with doing that is that because they have an ongoing storyline and they have this ongoing living breathing sort of universe it doesn't give Relic a whole lot of room, at least in my mind, to experiment with stuff, right? Because you you have one of two choices as Games Workshop, then. You say, okay, well, what happened in Dawn of War 3, that's just like a side thing that, yeah, it's in the same universe, but it doesn't really affect anything else, and we're just going to pretend it's not there. Or you say, oh, yep. Yeah, that happened, and all those events affect everything else that's happening in the same universe. Um, and so I, I would, and that's why they created like base Marines. Um, they're called the blood Ravens. If I remember correctly, that faction of space Marines or chapter as they're called was created specifically for the original Dawn of war one, as they never existed in any of the other storylines or the greater universe. But now that it's become a big thing, they have kind of had to incorporate them a little bit, but they're still kind of in this weird, like, vacuum middle ground where everything they do happens, but it doesn't affect anything else. So Mm. that may also be contributing to the fact that these stories are just kind of like shit, basically, because they don't want a good story that could have implications for everything else. Mm, So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. That's that's 
just conjecture on my part. But anyway, that's, that's how a, I feel about that. It's a fair assessment, I think. <laughs> it's often yeah, the I problem. Also- yeah. Sorry, Hunter, go. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I didn't mean to be say- sound so authoritative. So, Hunter, go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's okay. You, You're fired. You have- ah, no, not again. <laughs> um, it's like uh, Team Rocket. Every episode, they get blasted off again. It's like me. I get blasted off the podcast every time. That's, that's going to happen um, every I time. Also- it's like Kenny. We I just also- kill you every time, but fire. I was thinking the same you. thing. <laughs> yep. I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. Kenny. How, Dude, how is it? How is it that every podcast there is another like iconic I'm gonna, uh, oh, <laughs> pop culture media uh, like whatever reference that you have totally missed out on that we encountered? I, like I would have thought we had reached the end of this list of things that you have not been exposed to. I think he's pulling no, our leg. I think a lot of it, the things he's just like what like the arcade just, joke he made. I think a lot of these he's just he's just trying one, to get us going. Yeah. That no, one this that one was a joke. Yeah. This right, but one, I think I this is a more like is. high level, like how enraged can I get these guys thing? Like you're gonna keep going with it for a month. Like Trey uh, who? I don't understand what? I don't know. No, I no, I genuinely don't know who Kenny is. When I went to Kenny from um, South Park. From South Park. You see, I don't watch South Park, Family Guy, American Dad, none of those. <laughs> I think I might have seen like five minutes of Bob's Burgers or something like that. I don't know. Oh, well, I haven't seen Rick and Morty. I haven't seen. No one cares um, about Bob's Burgers. Rick and Morty is a very but, good show. Everyone should watch Rick and Morty. By the way, I I, I don't. I, I watch it with friends because I don't have a Hulu account, but it's I mean fantastic. Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. you're getting all. Oh, you're I getting got robotic, robotic again. again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah. Last week, I put up my review of Orcs Must Die Unchained, mm. which is also, it was a really good game. It's right. a free-to-play free to, free to play action tower defense game. So it's like a third-person action game. Um, but it's also tower defense in that you can set traps and you uh, and you fight off waves of orcs in horde mode fashion. It's a really good game, though. Um, I gave it an 85 out of 100. Yeah, um, I, I've kind of wanted to try one of those for a while, the Orcs Must Die ones, but I've never gotten around to it for some reason. No, it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, totally another thing we should do a Let's Play of, because you can do it with friends, it's like three people. Um, oh, hell yeah, and you said it's free, right? Yeah, it's free to play. And free to play, one it, of the- it can sometimes mean something different from free, but... Yeah. Well, no, it's it's free to play. Um, you get you get the game free. You get three starter characters at the beginning for free. But I talked about it in my review. Um, if you put, you don't. It's not an abusive free to play system sure. where you have to sink in a million hours to unlock something, or you have to pay to get a certain advantage in the game. You can get everything that you need to be successful in the game just by playing it. Um, the only thing you have to buy. Um, is vanity items similar to like Overwatch, you know, your loot crates and stuff, but and like um, skins and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but everything else, you can you can pay to unlock some of like I think there's 16 characters or something like that. You can pay to unlock them all in advance, but it took me like two hours to earn a new character, which I think is like a really cool um, device because it leaves always something on the horizon to look forward to. That's cool. Do you um, where where is it available? Is it a uh, is it just its own website and you download it, or is it on Steam, or what's the? What I the got platforms? it through Steam. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. it's been in open beta for two years, but it just Damn. launched. Yeah, it was a while. Um, I did have one complaint with the game, which was uh, their new PV, uh, PvP mode. Um, but you can read that in my review on GamingTrend.com. more than 10 minutes is that cool joe yeah sure so just want to take a quick second before we wrap up i was playing uh i was reviewing mr shifty um it was okay it doesn't do very well near the end it starts to chug and actually does not run very well on the nintendo switch um but before mm. i don't want to get into that game actually uh you can read my review when it goes up on gamingtrend.com uh what i do want to talk about is uh player unknowns battlegrounds which we were talking about briefly this week and uh a couple weeks ago also and i started playing it today and i like it a lot um it is definitely not a clean game it is an early access game it's very very janky and very unfinished as early access games generally are mike you had previewed it what did you think of your time with battlegrounds well Man, if you were thinking it was janky, it was it was ten times jankier than it is now because I was playing the the alpha or the pre-alpha or something like that. Um, I I wasn't a huge fan of it, but again, like it's an alpha, so it was kind of hard. You know, it was a little hard to judge it as if it was a full game because you never know really what you're getting when you play. So I kind of withheld too much. Um, judgment, I think, in my in my preview of it, um, I, I love the concept. I love this idea that you get dropped onto an island with what is it, a hundred people now? Hundred people generally, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, I think it was thirty during the alpha. I want to say, or oh, maybe wow. that's just how many people were actually on. I'm not sure, but I want to sure, say yeah. it was thirty. Um, maybe a hundred is good because maybe there's a little bit more action, um, but. Uh, I, like I said, I like the concept. One of the things that's frustrating for me is actually just one of the sort of the, the pillars of the game is that, like, you, you lose almost all of the time. Because if you're in a match, you're one of 100 people. You have a 1 in 100 chance, uh, if you look at it mathematically, of winning every time. And those odds suck. And uh, so, I don't know. I just don't like losing all yeah. the damn time. Yeah, and I it's... lost every single friggin' match I played, and I probably played thirty or forty matches. And I was like, "Okay, that I'm done. I am gonna like, I'm my head's about to explode. I will give right. this like the worst preview in the world if I keep playing it because I just keep getting my ass handed to all me." All right, all right, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's I will say, of... obviously, r- losing in uh, battle royale, now called battlegrounds, is kind of like losing a marathon, right? You lose right. a marathon almost ninety percent, ninety nine percent of the time you run them because you don't come in first place. You have to come in first place. You have to be the last survivor in battlegrounds to win per se but obviously there's rankings there you're if you're the 27th 
uh, last person or the 16th last person. You know, you keep going for better ratings every time. Uh, what I am playing it for and enjoying it for is its permadeath system. So, um, well, not even a system, just the fact, the presence of permadeath. So in the game, for anyone who doesn't know, if we haven't already described it, uh, not 100 players uh, or around 100 players are dropped into a very large map, um, an Arma-esque map. It's kind of very hilly and has a lot of different, um, you know, little townish village areas uh, that are all filled with guns. They're just a bunch of houses. They're just empty shells that have a bunch of guns and uh, equipment and all sorts of stuff that you loot. And then you go out and search for more stuff and you try to avoid or try to kill other players. Uh, once you kill another player, they are out of that round for good. That's it. They're kicked out of the server. Once you, you die, same thing. So it is basically a battle royale for anyone who saw that movie or a Hunger Games scenario, which Hunger Games is very much based off of battle royale. So it is, um, it's also, you know, slowly, uh, is, your play area is being um, condensed slowly mm -hmm. as you're playing. Like every five minutes, uh, the play area um, becomes more condensed, like I said. And the places outside of that area, if you're caught out there, once the timer runs out, you start losing health. So you keep mm -hmm. uh, running in towards the center and running into more people as you do. And running into people, it's so fucking tense. It's so cool because it's permadeath. So you really don't want to die and like... There's yeah. real consequence to it. It's every consequence. You're out of the game. You lose. And the game is janky. The game is like very broken. It doesn't run very well. It, uh, you're constantly clipping like a forward or backward. I very often find myself not able to enter a house just because the game won't let me. All sorts of things. But there are so many dynamics to the game because it's a permadeath game. And there just aren't enough of those. In like the AAA space or in just high production spaces, like you, you, we, I really want to see a killer uh, developer nail one of these games. Not that Player Unknown or um, Blue Point is not a good developer. I just, it is definitely a very, it's a doubt. Was it Blue Hole? Blue Hole. Sorry, Blue Hole. That sounds dirty. Uh, so, <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. yeah. Wow. Anyway, Korean, not so that. The, yeah, not to, had no idea. Not to disparage them, I like this game a lot, but I like it because of the permadeath experience uh, moreover than anything else. And just little things like, say, you have to loot these houses, so uh, one pro move is to not leave the doors open when you leave, because then people will go into the houses, and then they'll waste time in there, and they'll try and look right. for stuff that's not there, and uh, so... There's just all sorts of cool instances that happen. So I suggest it to anyone who's interested in a permadeath experience. Yeah, I the I do remember doing the door thing because I, I figured that out real quickly that people would always, they'd see the door open, they'd be like, oh, someone's in there probably. I yep. better go check it out. And, yep. I'd be, and every time after that, I went in, I was like, all right, I'm closing this fucking door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but little I, things like that. Yeah, like that the consequences yeah. of your actions are way more uh, amplified, you know? Like things like, and I guess, yeah, sorry. What's interesting about it to me is that there's kind of, in my mind, there's, there's more strategies than this, but there's three main strategies in my mind to, to not necessarily winning, but getting far up. Sure. You've got the most, the most obvious one, which is just hiding or avoiding people as much as you possibly can. Mm. Don't get seen. Don't, don't, don't even bother like looting anything. Just hide out and wait. 
and only move when you think you can move safely. Then, of course, you're faced with the dilemma at the end. If you are one of the only two people left, you most likely have terrible gear, and the one remaining person that you're against more than likely has really good gear. So Mm -hmm. have fun with that. Um, Or there's another really obvious one. You just get great gear and you kill everyone, and you just outperform and get great gear. Or there's a third option, um, which is you try to team up with people. Mm. But that doesn't always work unless you're specifically playing with buddies. But let's just assume you do and you make it to the end. Okay, great. Now you and your buddies got to kill each other. Mm. So I mean, that sounds like the coolest thing. Like you you and your buddy made it to the end and then you have a little, you duke it out at the end. You know, it's kind of like Castle Crashers. And I'm sure there's other games, but like you would finish a boss and then you guys had to fight. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like fucking kill my friend. (laughs) It's awesome. Have you guys played uh, the Minecraft Hunger Games? Yeah, it's essentially the same thing, just oh, way so good, you know, way so larger. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The system, right. you know, Minecraft isn't like the most incredible, uh, you know, action game. Like the actual moving around isn't so fun, and the combat isn't fun. But just that permadeath element is so thrilling like you know you you running into someone else is actually exciting it's not just like oh i see someone shoot the head and then rinse and repeat or die and try again you know it's just that's way more exciting you need to play xcom and xcom 2 especially right i know you're not super into strategy games but i i might that is the, the the main reason why that game is so compelling because not only is it hard and the the strategy is real. Like you really have to think about the stuff you're doing. But yeah. your dudes will drop like flies, and then gone. That's it. It doesn't matter if you invested wow. forty hours in that character. Poof. Yeah. And you can't restart the mission. Like you're just, it's done. I've so. considered dabbling in. Yeah, I've considered dabbling in X- XCOM two. I have to play at least a significant amount of Civ six before I invest in another. A strategy game that sucks a lot of hours so but i'll once the steam sales go up i'll probably i'll probably pick it up because uh, I'm, I'm compulsive like that yeah yeah and if you guys like uh permadeath you really need to try don't starve which is one of my favorite like small indie titles oh it's, sure uh yeah. if you're not familiar it's like a top-down survival game and it's permadeath and um you have to learn the rules of the world and how objects work to fight the elements and combat creatures and build shelter and eat. And you've got hunger and, and cold meters to contend with. It's really cool. Permadeath games like that. I like, I like, um, I'm playing on the switch every now and then, uh, was it binding of Isaac afterbirth? And I like that, but I mean, mm. the, the element here, it's obviously, you know, uh, player versus player competitive. So like your permadeath is, uh, even more intense because it's decided upon by other players. Uh, sure. But I mean, yeah, love love those games. I have Don't Starve on from a Steam sale that I never touched. You know, it's just another one of those games. Yep. Oh, I know all about that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us once again this week. My name is Joe DeClara. I am news editor at Gaming Trend. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joey Dagabonets. Uh, Mike Pierce, tell us all about yourself. Uh, you can follow me on my Twitter account with a very paltry number of followers. It's uh, at Grumpy Gamer. That's Grumpy with two R's. And um, 
and that's it. I guess you can find my my review for Dawn of War 3 on GamingTrend.com. And you will also be able to... I, I can talk about this because I think the game's been released. You'll be able to find my Sniper 3 Ghost Warrior review up sometime next week. Okay, cool. Hunter. Yes, everything and about- you can follow... You can... Everything about me. I don't know if we have time for that. You can follow me on Twitter for everything about me at Hunter underscore Wolf with an E. And you can read my review today of Orcs Must Die Unchained on Gaming Trend. And look for my review of What Remains of Edith Finch in the next week. Excellent. And if you want to get in touch with Mike or myself, you can, of course, email us at the email address podcast at gamingtrend.com. Please join us again next week. We are every Monday to bring you the latest in video game news and silly banter. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And gentlemen, thank you for joining, as always. Thank you, Joe. Thanks. Thanks.